peace to you from our promised Savior who came to us this Christmas time. As Pastor Tim mentioned, the sermon text for consideration is recorded for us in Luke chapter 1. You can find that on page 7 of your service folders. I'll be referring to it throughout the sermon here, so it might be helpful to follow along. The mother of all learning is repetition. I'll say that again to emphasize it. The mother of all learning is repetition. Um, you could go to Rome and you can find a big stone there where somebody thought that that phrase was so important that they spent countless hours with a small chisel chipping those words out so that they are in stone. The mother of all learning is repetition. I think when God thought it good to, to include these eight verses in the Gospel of Luke, he had, it, he had that concept in mind, that the mother of all learning is repetition, because this isn't the first time that we have these verses recorded in the Bible. If you page through the Old Testament and you read Genesis, Exodus, if you read the Psalms, or Ezra, or Jeremiah, or even, even other books, you'll find bits and pieces of this song scattered throughout those pages. Because this is just a bunch of quotes from the Old Testament. God repeated these words a couple times in his Bible. And I think he's trying to teach us something pretty special here. And for, for many years, the Christian church and the world have both picked up on something special with these verses. Because these verses span all the way back to to about 300 A.D., when monks put these words to a chant. And then they span from that time all the way to 1967, here in New York City, when on a live stage, the great Simon and Garfunkel sang these words. And these words span to just a couple seconds ago, when you opened up your service folders and you, you sang this song. The Benedictus, the song of Zechariah. For thousands of years and for millions of views on YouTube, people have sung this song and they've learned the words. But, but I wonder if over those thousands of years and the millions of ears that have been opened wide to hearing these words, if they've lost the message. With this song, God sings to us through Zechariah a message worth remembering. And this song states that God remembers his holy covenant. And the song explores it a little more and says it's, it's a covenant that redeems and a covenant that removes. Those are the two things we want to focus on today as we walk through this text together. Repetition, it's not, repetition in the Bible, uh, it's not exclusive to just Zechariah's song. God uses it as, as a teaching tool in, in many other places. You know that for, for 40 days and 40 nights, water rained down from heaven on Noah's ark. And you know that the Israelites wandered through the desert for 40 years. And you know that Jesus was tempted in the desert by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Why the repetition there? I think it's a pretty simple answer. One of the reasons God uses repetition is to help us remember these accounts a little bit better, to keep them close and near and near to our hearts. And so God uses repetition to talk about his holy promise, his covenant. But he uses it for a different reason than just for us to remember it. 
but so that we will know just how serious he is about it and how he will remember it, how he will keep it. Because for any avid reader of the Old Testament, they'll come away with a lot of impressions, but they'll come away with one big one for sure, that God's holy covenant is important. And God talked about his holy covenant a few times. He gave it many times to many different people. He stood with, he stood with a man and woman who were lost in complete and utter shame. And he stood before them, and the, the fig leaves hanging off of their bodies were, were a testament to just how ashamed they were. And God said, well, Adam and Eve, I don't care what you did. He's going to come and crush the serpent's head. I'll keep my promise. I'll redeem you. And then God stood with an old man, a childless man, and he took him outside, and they stared up into a dark, starry night sky. And God said, Abraham, look at these stars. That's how numerous your descendants will be. I will be your God and the God of those descendants. God gave his promise to Abraham as well. I'm not sure how much you know about the man Zechariah. Here's a, just a few tidbits of information. He was a contemporary of Jesus. He lived right about that same time. He was the father of John the Baptist. He was a priest. And as a priest, he was an avid reader of the Old Testament. So he would have known about God's holy covenant and how it would be kept. One day, as, as Zechariah was doing his priestly duties, he was standing in the temple before an altar with, with incense burning next to him, and, and he was offering a prayer up to God, a, a prayer for the people he could hear the people murmuring their prayers out in the courtyard. And as Zechariah stood in that solemn place, the angel of God appeared to him. And it must have been startling, to say the least. Because the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah in all his glory and said, Zechariah, you are going to have a son. And this would have sounded pretty funny to Zechariah's ears. Because he was an old man, his wife Elizabeth was old as well. She hadn't conceived before. The claim that Zechariah made would have been preposterous to him. And, and so he feared that it wasn't true. He didn't believe the angel. And so the angel said to Zechariah, because you doubted me, you won't be able to speak until all these things happen. Zechariah walked out of that temple and he couldn't express to the people what happened. Later, when he found out that his wife, Elizabeth, was pregnant, he couldn't express his joy verbally like, like most husbands can. He, he couldn't speak. Nine months later, that baby was born, and Zechariah wrote on a tablet, his name will be John, and Zechariah's mouth was open. What did he say? He sang this song. And I think for the nine months that Zechariah was silent, he had plenty of time to go back and to reread the Holy Scriptures and to see exactly what this meant, what, what the fact meant that his son, John the Baptist, would be born. He would be able to go back and to realize that somebody was going to come and prepare the way for the Lord, and, and the angel Gabriel told him that that was John. 
And so when John was finally born and when he was finally named, Zechariah knew that redemption was right around the corner. So he sang about that redemption. In verse 68, he's saying, God has come and has redeemed his people. Right away, right off the bat at the beginning of this song, Zechariah says what the Holy Covenant is. Redemption. And redemption is, it can be kind of a fuzzy term. It it can have many different definitions. Uh, So Zechariah, he he explains it a little bit more for us. In verse 69, he says, well, he's going to work this redemption because he has raised up a horn of salvation. And maybe that term is even a little bit more confusing because you and I don't use that term. But in the Old Testament, that term, a horn of salvation, meant it was, it was power and strength and ability. God would raise up his very own son to be the powerful one who would work salvation, who would keep the holy covenant. And in verse 71, I think we get the best explanation for exactly what this holy covenant, this redemption is. Zechariah says, it's salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Redemption here is liberation, freedom, deliverance. God will snatch his people back out of the hands of the enemies that have them in their clutches. What kind of enemies do you think Zechariah was referring to here? Some have said, well, well, it was probably the oppressive Roman government at the time. Others have said, well, well, maybe it was the Jewish political leaders that had Zechariah under their thumb. Oh, maybe. But I think Zechariah had a much more personal enemy than that. An enemy that pierced his core. I got thinking a little bit about Zechariah this past week, and I thought, you know, Zechariah is really not that much different than you or or I. Sure, he grew up in a different era, and he he wore different clothes, and he ate different food, but at his core, at his innermost being, he's the same as I am. He's the same as you are. Because he holds his faith at his core. So maybe a better question to ask how we can figure out what Zechariah's enemies were is to ask, well, Well, what are your enemies? And maybe for you, you could think, oh, well, it's got to be the the bad people that are behind all of the terrorism in this world. Or maybe maybe for you, it's um, you have somebody in your life that that was horrible to you, that that hated you, that, that was just troublesome to you. But I think you have an enemy that's much more personal than that. And so I'd like to go ahead with, with this definition of an enemy. An enemy is anyone or anything that pierces your core, that unravels your heart. And I'll say that in a different way. An enemy is anyone or anything that can cause you to fear that God has forgotten you. Because if you fear that God has forgotten you, then what you hold most dear is pierced and begins to unravel. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe it was at a time when when you you were riddled with sickness. You couldn't couldn't even move. You 
you had so much pain and you cried out either aloud or even just in your mind, God, I, I think you've forgotten about me. Or maybe it was a time when, when you, you lost your job and you, you weren't financially stable. You didn't know how you were going to make it from one rent check to the next and you thought, God, you must have forgotten about me. And if I can give you one small bit of comfort, I can tell you that for sure you and I aren't the only ones that have ever felt that way. Because think about what happened in the Old Testament. Uh, God gave his promise of a savior, and then 4,000 years later it came true, but what do you think all those Israelites, the the Bible believers in those 4,000 years felt? Do you think that they felt forgotten? I think so. Or think about Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife. She wanted to be a mother badly, but but she was barren. Do you think she ever felt forgotten about it? I think so. Or, or Zechariah. He was mute for nine months. The angel Gabriel said, these things will happen and, and you can speak again. His son John was born and, and he was still mute for eight more days until he named his son. Then he spoke. Do you think during those eight days, Zechariah felt forgotten? I think, I think so. I think he had that fear. And fear is it's a powerful thing and a terrible thing. It's powerful because it has the ability to drive our decisions. Here's what a news article says about it that I read this past week. It says, fear can impair our judgment. We've passed up opportunities in our personal lives. We've seen groups and nations unravel because of their irrational fears. If a nation can unravel because of fear... What more can it do to your heart? And then I also said fear is a terrible thing. And it's a terrible thing because fear that God has forgotten you is sin. It's a sinful tool that the devil uses to get in there and to, think that you, to make you think and feel that you've lost all hope. There's a lot more comfort that can be given than just to know that that other people have dealt with this too. And and Zechariah sings about it. He sings boldly about it. Zechariah sings about what God's holy covenant is, the purposes, why God remembered it. In verse 72 and 73, he says he had a few purposes here. He said he remembered his holy covenant to show mercy to fathers, to remember his holy covenant, to remember the oath he swore to Abraham. So one of the purposes that God had was to make good on the promise. But then I think the big reveal, the real comfort comes in verse 74. God remembered his holy covenant to to enable us to serve him without fear. That's a huge statement. Think about that for a minute. What does it mean to serve God? Our service to God is, it's our entire lives. It's, it's the time we spend with our family, the time we spend at our job, the time we spend in our free time, uh, the time we spend planning for our future. That's all service to God. And so if our whole lives are service to God, God's purpose for you and for me is that we would live our whole lives without a single shred of fear. I think that is big life-changing. 
because you can get down with some type of a sickness or, or you can have a bad day at work or you, you can be in a tough financial situation. But none of that can affect what really matters. None of that can affect that God remembered his holy covenant for you. None of the things of this world can change the cold, hard fact that God raised up his, his horn of salvation, his power, his strength, his one and only son on a cross for you. Nothing in this world can change the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins to remove your fear. Nothing in this world can change the fact that with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he gave you the holiness, the righteousness that he won for you on this earth so that when God looks at you, at the service that you have provided for him, he sees Jesus' life, that holiness, and that righteousness. Nothing in this world can change that fact. God remembered his holy covenant each and every day of the history of this world. And you and I are just a little tiny dot a blip on that line of history. But for God, for God who is outside of our timeline, you fill up his entire time. You fill up his whole concern, his entire heart, his entire mind. You are this important jewel to God that he could never forget about, no, no matter what. Because your God remembered you when he remembered his holy covenant covenant that redeems you from, from enemies, and a covenant that removes your sin and, and removes your fear. With that knowledge, what can this world do to you? Amen.